0: episode 361 rejuvenating the art and science of growing older with enthusiasm dr ron kaiser the awaken your alpha podcast live limitless i'm adam lewis walker host of awaken your alpha the number one men's development podcast for inspirational stories and strategies to thrive as a man As a coach, keynote speaker, and best-selling author, it has been my mission going on four years on the podcast to bring you the best, the very best, the struggles, the action, and to share the real journey with you. Please subscribe to support the show through ayalpha.com forward slash book. This episode is sponsored by TEDxCelerator. If you do want to do a TEDx talk, and that is something on your list for 2019 or even 2020, if your answer is yes to any of that, your best lesson to my free TEDx Essentials training that you can easily find in the show notes of this episode. Jump into that and please, you know, if you have any questions or someone you know wants to do a TEDx, please don't hesitate. Adamwalkeruk at me.com is my personal email. That'll jump straight to me. Get to the podcast okay we've got a brilliant one this, y- this year this week we've got a brilliant one this week it's all about rejuvenating it's all about the art and science of growing older with enthusiasm we have dr ron kaiser on the line he is a licensed psychologist and director of psychology at the jefferson headache center at Towson jefferson university he actively uses health and fitness intellectual functioning and social involvement strategies that are all outlined in his book a proud father and grandfather. He's the man behind the mentalhealthgym.com. I've met Ron. He's a best-selling fellow best bestselling author. He's also on the Goodreads list there. He's got a brilliant book that's right in front of me. I'm really excited to dive into it today. Ron, are you ready to awaken your alpha this evening?
1: Absolutely. I'm a big fan of yours, Adam, and I'm ready to, to, to go.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much. So um, that was a reasonably brief introduction I did for you. Is there anything you'd like to add or highlight? What are you all about at the moment?
1: Well, historically, uh, my background is in, in health psychology and more recently in positive psychology. And I think it's kind of important to draw upon those things in, as one goes through the aging process. Uh, I think uh, you can probably guess I'm a little older than you. Uh, But I know that the way you keep yourself in shape, you're going to be able to rejuvenate very easily. I just think those of us who stay in shape real, real, um, well, we're ahead of the game.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And if you don't mind me saying, I think, are you 80, 81 years old? I'm officially 81 now. Ah, see, oh, hit it on the nose. Brilliant. So um, yeah, we're going to be talking about mastering the seven keys to rejuvenating, reju- owning the aging process. So if anyone is getting listening to this and is actually getting older, which is all of us, this might be quite an important episode to you. So we touched a little bit there on your origins. Um, where are you originally from? Um, and what did you want to be growing up and kind of I know we we got a lot to talk about in 80 years, but like what's the kind of just the the shortened version of how you got from A to B?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, spent the first 22 or so years of my life going through uh, the University of Minnesota through the master's degree. Uh, I then went to Los Angeles for five years as a uh, teacher and coach and counselor. And the counseling bug, the the opportunity to help people, uh, really hit me, and I just wanted to develop this more. Uh, I did some work in community agencies, and then I went to the University of Pennsylvania for my doctorate, which is why I'm in Philadelphia. I also met my wife here, had our kids here, and uh, really enjoy the the community. Uh, There are a lot of people our ages here uh, some of whom are really good at rejuvenating and some of whom are kind of running out the clock and that that was kind of bothersome to me so that's kind of been at the background of why i wanted to make sure that my peers develop in a more positive way
0: awesome what does rejuvenating mean to you it's it's it's, it's catchy I, I like the sound of it and it means something to me but what is, what does it really mean to you
1: well, I'm glad you picked up on the word because I actually own it. It's, you know, oh. I don't know how many of are <laughs> listeners have trademarked a word, but I, I trademarked <laughs> it. Uh, and it actually, the, the subtitle of the book really explains what, what it means to me. The Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. I think there are a couple of components that are important. One is you don't have to be old to start rejuvenating. A lot of the techniques that I discuss if you can develop them into habits at an earlier age will help a whole lot in in the rejuvenating process and i think the concept of it both being an art and a science i draw heavily upon some of the findings of positive psychology neuroplasticity and other sciences Uh, so i'm not just throwing some stuff against the wall and saying hey this worked for me but there's really good science to indicate the seven keys of rejuvenating makes sense, and that if we're constantly growing and changing in three main areas, the health and fitness area, the intellectual functioning area, and the social involvement area, uh, we're way ahead of the game, and we're likely to not get sucked into too sedentary a lifestyle, too negative a lifestyle, but rather to look forward to the aging process. i've made the the comment if i knew how much fun old age would be i'd have grown older faster Uh, (laughs) don't know if that's totally true but i uh, i I have found this to be a really good time of life
0: brilliant and um you touched on there the mastering the seven keys of rejuvenating could you just sort of maybe briefly go through what these seven keys are i know you talked about three key aspects there um and if you feel, dig into one of them, or however relevant to explain it.
1: Okay. Well, I'll I'll start at the beginning, and certainly <laughs> interrupt me if uh, if I'm either not making myself clear, or if you think something is so.
0: Yeah. If any questions pop up, if I'm, I'll, I'll jump in as well.
1: <laughs> okay. So, number one, it all starts with the mindset. Uh, the mindset is kind of the characteristic way in which. Uh, a person develops habits and approaches to the world. Uh, There's a a really important psychologist, Carol Dweck, who developed the concept of the growth mindset and the fixed mindset. Mm. And one of the things she identified is the fact that some people from an early age get rewarded for being either bright or pretty or whatever it is, and they begin to learn that concept and uh, I know, for example, when I was doing my doctorate at Penn, I'd run into these people who were, had been praised for being smart, and then they suddenly come to an Ivy League school, and half the people there are, are smarter than, than they are. Um, you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking
0: straight away. I was I was quite good at sport and like the sporty kind of sporty guy. Then I went to the best sports university in the UK, and I was like, yeah, everyone was pretty
1: much better than me. So, hey, it's, it's very humbling. It's it's, it's good for me. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> absolutely, and that's why the people with the growth mindset are the ones who were really praised for trying. You didn't necessarily have to get A's. Uh, yeah. You know, there are things like B's and C's in the world, but some of the people with the fixed mindset, if it wasn't an A, then it's a fail, even Mm -hmm. if
0: it Yeah, very black or white, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think the same thing applies when we get into the aging process that, yeah, there may be some things that we can't do as well as we did before. There may be some dreams that have been kind of quashed uh, as we go along, but if the goal is to move forward, then that gives us the mindset to, to really build upon. So I think mindset is first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next key is really uh, kind of intellectual functioning. This is the thing that many people as they approach the aging process begin to be you know, very concerned about. And unfortunately, there's a lot of publicity about dementia, Alzheimer's, and so on. Uh, And and those are certainly valid concerns, but there are things that we can do to try to offset those. Mm -hmm. And in my, uh, there actually are 71 different behaviors that I identify in uh, the book. And I forgot, there's at least a dozen in terms of activities that we can do to try and boost our intellectual functioning.
0: I mean, it might be too general and maybe too individualized. But what, maybe, like your top three ones that you know, or maybe you feel like some people miss?
1: Okay, one of the things is uh, those of us in my generation didn't necessarily grow up with computers and the internet and things of this nature. And while it can be an isolating kind of thing, uh, the reality is, though, that there's a lot that can be acquired intellectually if you don't if you don't make that the center of your life, but if you use it uh Secondly, uh, many of us reach the point where uh we have a whole lot of books in our to do list uh, yeah and then we reach a certain age and and we can do it we have may have the time to do it. I also encourage people to uh take classes uh learn new skills, and one of the most important things is what we 're doing now, and that's if we can stay in touch with younger people. Uh, <laughs> That can help us number one can can help with the alertness, uh, expose us to new ideas in the world, and also the feedback that we get. The next thing I actually uh, wanted to put it first, which is uh, the attention to diet and uh, and what we put into our bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, my editor kind of uh, talked me out of it, and I went and asked some other people, and they agreed with him, uh, okay. said that, that that trying to control eating is too hard. I always thought it was one of the easier things, because it's not dependent on feedback from somebody else, or, you know, like social involvement, yeah. or things of that nature.
0: And so it's, it's very visual. You, you know, it's hard not to notice what's like getting put into your face.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you got total control over it. Things that, that can be very helpful that a lot of people don't think about, such as um, if you're not hungry, the fact that food is available, uh, that there are snacks out on the table or something, uh, that doesn't mean you have to eat it if you're not hungry. You yeah. So, so, being able to say no uh, when you take snacks, one of the things I encourage my patients and, and try to do myself, if I'm taking a bath, some potato chips I, I've got this technique if, they, if they're not broken, I can do about six potato chips at one time, then I have to reseal the package, put it back in the cupboard, so if I'm going to take it again, I, I have to mindfully think that I'm doing that, yeah. Another thing, for example, in in our case, where we moved from from a house to uh, an apartment a few years ago uh, as part of downsizing, the kitchen and dining room and living area is really close to each other. So you have to consciously set aside the fact that there are certain areas for eating and not let it run into the other areas. So I encourage people to eat only in those areas that are uh, designed for eating.
0: Yeah. I like um, as well, one of the things you, you put in your book as well, choose a primary doctor who is not disease orientated.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important. And, and I think uh, in many ways, I see myself as falling in line with, with the type of doctor who is not disease oriented for a long, long time, both medicine and psychology. Uh, the emphasis was on the abnormal and trying to get somebody with disease to get that disease relieved, basically to go from down uh, from disease to neutral uh, and I come from a school of psychology and I choose medical people the same way uh, to you want people to get into drive to be able to thrive to flourish mm. and i th- Think uh, a physician who does not emphasize disease is more likely to be concerned about recommending uh, diet, dietary changes, exercise, and various things that will help you to thrive. Yeah. Again, the goal is not to get to to neutral and then stay there. Yes. Yeah. not Not,
0: not Not just wait to treat you when you've got a disease or something's wrong with you. Yeah, definitely. I loved another thing you put in there. I'm just picking a few, but if it's not mealtime and you are hungry, there is an alternative to eating, (laughs) stay hungry. (laughs) I think it's back to just because, you know, the convenience, just because the food's there, you know, that we can all exert a little bit of willpower and have that, that control in our lives. you know,
1: Anybody who goes on a diet, uh, is, is aware of the fact that, Hey, if you're going to be eating less, you may be hungrier than, than usual. But they may not have processed the fact that, hey, there is this alternative. You can stay hungry, and another hour or two will be meal time, and then you can eat.
0: Yeah, cool. And we're at uh, key four owning your body.
1: Yeah, that's primarily built around exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of feel like I'm preaching to the choir and talking to you. About-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's everyone, it's, it's good. And like anything, if it's, it's right, it's right. The fundamentals don't change, and I think it's. Is always- yeah, I,
1: I also add in some yeah. things like meditation and so on that, that I think are, are important. But uh, there's tons of scientific research to indicate that at every age, and particularly uh, at, at the older age ranges where you're concerned about longevity and concerned about quality of life, that it is really important to have a regular rational exercise program. Uh, to, again, I, uh, in my case, I go to the gym three times a week for just generally working out. I also take a yoga class. Uh, I live in an area where it's uh, where I can walk to work, we can walk to concerts, restaurants. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of things that you can do that aren't necessarily formal going to the gym that, that keep you alert to those things. And for many people, uh, if they've been away from it for a while, there are some general principles to be aware of. One is if you haven't used your muscles for a while, they'll be be a little sore when you start. Secondly, you start gradually. And again, if you've got a non-disease-oriented physician, he or she can guide you. to. It. And I can just tell you from personal observations, not necessarily from the science of rejuvenating, but the art of it, uh, I've seen many of my contemporaries who continue to function well and exercise, uh, but I have seen others who just kind of created in an active lifestyle for a couch and and TV, and you do see uh, increased disease, reduced longevity. It's it's kind of a lousy way to go through life as opposed to, in, in my case, I don't take any medication, Not because of a principle, but because I don't need it. Yeah. Sedentary people tend to need it.
0: Okay. Yeah. And I think we're on to number five.
1: Number five is social involvement. Um, They're really, uh, again, this is where we draw upon science. There is good evidence now that uh, uh, isolation or loneliness. Is right up there with uh, overweight, uh, smoking, sedentary lifestyle in terms of being a killer. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very important uh, to maintain social relationships, even if you're in a situation where you don't have to. I mean, for many of us, you know, work provided some of the social involvements. We may have had friends who moved away or who died or whatever it's important to recognize this isn't just you know kind of something nice as you might tell you know a child yeah. or a teenager yeah.
0: no i, I listen to that you know there's definitely a, you know, obviously a lot of people have their friends from old school friends so that's kind of there on a plate for them and then it might have been university friends again a form of work and then work friends um i'm just thinking of my, you know some people are working from home now or, you know, got their not in that work environment where they're socializing all the time. Definitely. It's a, it's a, it's a real uh, pitfall. And, um, I think, you know, entrepreneurs, there's a lot of entrepreneurs be listening to the show. You need to be very proactive and go out there and, and, and make the effort because it's not going to, it's not going to just drop into your lap.
1: Yeah. and And again, it's, it's not just that it's a nice thing to do, but it's a really, important and healthy thing to do and one of the best ways you can do it if i can uh move into the next uh, yes
0: oh definitely please uh uh,
1: we know that doing good for other people actually gives people kind of a helper's high one of the best ways to to really get involved socially is if if you don't uh, especially if you don't have uh, an obvious group of friends to start with is to uh just volunteer to get involved with an organization where in, there are many places and many communities that can use volunteers. Uh, the social involvement helps the brain to change in a positive direction. And it, let's face it, it's a whole lot more fun. Again, like with the diet and so on, it may not be comfortable when you start out if you're not used to reaching out and doing new things, but. Uh, the, the notion, for example, that some people feel, geez, I'd be embarrassed if I, if I start putting myself out there and asking people for help or, or asking if I can help people. Think of it if it were the other way around. If, some, if you needed help, wouldn't you like somebody to be there to provide some help and guidance for you? And I think that brings us to the last one, which is uh, to really appreciate the good that permeates around you. Um, one of my uh, semi-mentors, a psychologist, a neuropsychologist who I have a great deal of respect for, uh, Dr. Rick Hansen, who in fact, uh, you'll see his blurb on the cover of my book. He's developed a concept called taking in the good, which is really when you're out there, whether you're uh, out in, in nature whether somebody does something really good for you uh, to be able to take that that in Uh, we just came back from a family vacation where for the first time we had uh, all three generations in the same place at the same time uh, on on a vacation and it it just went so well you know there, there were times when I really felt almost tearful of how well this was going yeah Uh, positive psychology teaches us that one of the best things we can do before going to bed is to write down what went well up to three things uh, that went well during the day and they don't have to be dramatic days Um, you know sometimes you know i'll I'll see a patient who comes in and they're talking about the traffic and all yeah stuff, uh i come in and say how how long a drive was it? Say a half hour. Say how many cars you think you passed? And they'll say hundreds, maybe thousand. I'll ask how many of them hit you. They'll say none. I said, hey, that's that's a pretty good day. You, you <laughs> stop about it. So again, you know, being alive and well, getting from one place to another, having a train or bus show up on time, those are things to appreciate.
0: Definitely. Not every you know. 80 year old as goes to these, these conferences and is, is like spending their evening being interviewed for a podcast. that's going out in like 140 countries. So when was a time in your life when, you know, it was a real challenge and you really had to, you know, awaken your alpha and it wasn't going so smoothly.
1: Okay. Well, I can mention a couple of things. I think that, uh, there was a, a time that I think many of us, uh, uh, reached that one point where we were building a marriage, building a career, raising kids, and not doing any of them as well as we would have liked. You know, and one of the things that, that happened is, well, if I'm not feeling all that great, uh, you know, what's going to the gym gonna do for me? You know, and then I answered my own question and said it wouldn't do anything for me. What, you know, what harm is it gonna do me uh, if I, if I don't watch my diet, you know, what if I come home, plop down, turn on the TV, even if I have nothing to watch, uh, you know, which now I see as, as being a totally senseless thing to, to turn on the TV with no purpose. Uh, yeah. But, you know, so I think there is a time in life and, and I think this is a challenge for many people, uh, because you know, what's going on is that's actual depression. Now I don't, think I was majorly depressed, clinically depressed or so on. But at some point, I had to say, hey, is this the way I want to lead the the rest of my life? Um, And so I did start uh, to develop my thinking around the seven principles. what evolved into the seven principles. And then about 20 years ago, as I was, uh, at least in some people's eyes, getting older, uh, (laughs) I would get these questions that was really... That that were really kind of bothersome, uh, such as uh, going for a medical appointment and the nurse asking me at at the initial part of it, What medications do you take? Not do you take any medication, what medications? And then somebody, I would meet somebody who, without really knowing me, would ask, When did you retire? (laughs) You know, so I mean, I began to see myself as being. Uh, kind of a a member of a minority that was kind of treated unfairly. Mm -hmm. And either I could accept that and say, you know, I could be annoyed or I could try to do something about it. And that's when I kind of put the wheels in motion to develop my thinking and ultimately it led to the book.
0: Awesome. Well, we're going to go into the alpha round now to start wrapping things up. And I'd like to start that off with, is there a particular book uh, in your life that was really impactful for you? Uh, it may have just been you read it at the right time. And obviously, we're, we, we know about your book, Rejuvenation. So we we'll take that one off the table. Is there any a book that was either impactful for you or you like to recommend?
1: You mean there are other books out there? <laughs> well, I think that, that there are... Uh, A couple that that I, from the positive psychology area that I think would be kind of important, um, one of which is the book Flourish by Martin Seligman, who uh, he's written several books as his thinking of uh, positive psychology has evolved. Flourish is the most recent one and really sums up a lot of the principles of positive psychology. And I'm blocking on uh, the first name of uh, – I'm going to give you one other one that I, I think – yeah, Sean, I should have should known. Sean Acor, um, who wrote The Happiness Advantage. I okay. think people who follow who, – who read those two will get a, a generally good idea of positive psychology and what it stands for. Um, I th- would also uh, mention uh, – um, Rick Hansen's books, Buddha's Brain, uh, Hardwiring Happiness, and uh, most recently, Resilient, because they uh, point up very clearly that you can, regardless of age, that the brain can change and you can positively impact on those changes. There was a time we thought that around age 30, things stopped growing in in terms of of brain power. Uh, We now know that you can make those changes throughout the lifespan. And again, from my vantage point, it's kind of sinful to not take advantage of that knowledge. Definitely. Is there a particular
0: all-time favorite quote that you like, or uh, just one that really sort of resonates with you and how you like to approach your life?
1: The quote that I actually introduced my book with, uh, Mike Singletary, who was... uh, a former great player in the nfl and then became a an okay coach his his quote is really my all-time favorite one he once said you know what my favorite part of the game is the opportunity to play and that's kind of the way i feel about life
0: love it i absolutely love that From your network, you've mentioned, you know, a lot of uh, influential people there, Um, but who would you recommend would be a great interview for the Awaken Your Alpha podcast? Uh,
1: Well, I'm obviously uh, a little biased, but I think uh, Rick Hansen, who also does podcasts, would would be, you know, very good. Sean Acor has uh, done TED Talks, podcasts. If you can get any of them, I I would encourage it.
0: Yeah. when it comes to sort of your own personal habits and routines is there anything that's kind of essential that you do that you we haven't covered already in terms of all the sort of the seven keys so far is there anything specific you do
1: yeah i i had originally written a book in 2011 that it never got past ebook form but Hmm. uh, i am working on updating it it's called what can go right thinking person's guide to making good things happen. And when I really try to stay conscious of when I meet some challenging things, when I have any tendency to be depressed, when I'm disappointed in somebody in the family or a coworker or something like that, um, I really try to ask what can go right in the situation. And it, an interesting thing is when I ask patients that, you'd be surprised how many of them say, geez, I never thought of that, or mm. I can tell you what can go wrong. I've even, as I mentioned in the book, I've even had a patient or two thought that that I misspoke and said, did you mean what can go wrong? People, uh, you know, historically, we kind of have a negativity bias to think in terms of things going wrong. But take yes. <laughs> prehistoric times when people had to worry about weather elements and wild animals and other tribes and things of this nature so we it isn't natural to think in terms of what can go right
0: and um i feel i'd be missing a trick if i didn't ask about headaches <laughs> i mean is there because obviously you're in the they're working in the headache center and obviously that's something that i pretty much think across the board at some stage people have in their life have suffered with them and some obviously more than others what are some things that maybe can lower the risk of having headaches, or if you do get a lot of headaches, is there any uh, advice? Is there any advice that you can share from your work?
1: Sure, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. First, yeah. <laughs> first of all, headache is a uh, in in most cases is neurochemical disorder. In many cases, it's an it's inherited. You inherit a tendency, and then you need something to trigger the headache. So you maybe headache prone, and then whether it be weather, food, uh, stress, whatever it may be, uh, triggers it. So I think uh, the thing that sets it apart from most of the other neurological disorders is because we're not talking about damage, we're talking about essentially a uh, dysfunction of the neurochemistry uh, that may be hard to bring back into balance. You know, in other words, for a lot of people, they get a headache. The thing that brings them back into balance is taking two Tylenol or et cetera or something like that. Uh, people who have debilitating headaches have either a multiple triggers or something that makes it harder to bring into balance. But the critical thing that I would encourage any headache patient to be aware of is, unlike other neurological disorders, it doesn't deteriorate anything. In other words, you can get better. I think it's not an accident that that's the kind of unit that I work on. That you know, having a positive orientation, uh, I'm much more interested in helping people get better and thrive uh, rather than to be in a. And again, I know those those things are needed, but uh, it's to me, it's a more positive environment than than. A condition where you're going to get worse and worse and worse, so it's important to recognize you can get better. The second thing, uh, if it is a second, I don't know if it's <laughs> but the other most important thing is that a lot of people do a lot of damage to themselves by overusing medications for for pain control. Um, Aside from you know the stuff we already know, the opioid epidemic and so on, but uh, the body begins to accommodate or adjust to taking excessive medications, and then it becomes almost like missing a meal if you don't get the medication. And pretty soon, the uh, the time frame that you need until the next dose becomes shorter and shorter. Mm-hmm. So the important thing is to really uh, meet with a professional and work on prevention. Rather than, you know, again, if, if you get a headache once in a while, then sure, take a couple of uh, over-the-counter medications. But it's not really a, a day-to-day headache management uh, kind of thing to, to get sucked into.
0: Definitely. It's really, really important to uh, focus uh, and highlight that, I think. So um, what is the best way people can connect with you if they want to continue the conversation and find out more?
1: Okay. My website is www.thementalhealthgym.com the book uh, rejuvenating is available on amazon in all three formats
0: awesome and i have to ask something you put in your book as well and i want to just close the show with this sort of thoughts you talk about experiencing the joy of feeling your age what do you mean by that
1: historically when somebody said uh and and again, this is something I picked up from peers who were not all that active. Uh that asked how you've been doing. He said, I'm really feeling my age. Uh as if that's a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, we are a certain age. So what I'm interested tried- as
0: well. And when does feeling your age become a bad thing in by society's standards? Because it's like, you know, yeah. if like if a 25-year-old said, oh, I'm feeling my age, you know. Is that was that
1: yeah so. <laughs> and that's what, what what my goal is to have a new definition for us older folks when we say we're feeling our age to really embrace that and uh, again it's it's a terrific time uh for many of us and and there are obviously some some problems that occur in among people in older ages that that don't occur among younger ones. but there are other kinds of things you know I mean accidents uh, and uh, spinal injuries are, are very significant uh, for people who are uh, late teens, young adults, and who perform risky behaviors which, of course, you wouldn't know about since uh, I know what you're planning to, to do. But, uh, the, uh, but, but the reality is that even even though some people can't do all the things I'm recommending, and I said there's 70 principles, 71 different behaviors, but there's a lot of things that you can do. And if you do them positively, forward-looking, you're going to feel your age a lot a lot more
0: comfortably than than not. Awesome. Well, Ron, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for uh, sharing the time with me.
1: Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. The Awaken
0: Your Alpha Podcast. Live limitless. This episode is sponsored by TEDxCelerator. Do you want to do your TEDx talk? If the answer to that is yes in any way, shape, or form, or you've always thought that would be a cool thing to do, if you've got any questions, Chris, please do reach out to me. AdamWalkeruk at me.com is my personal email. That'll jump straight to me. TED Accelerator Enrollment is open three times a year. So please do reach out. We may be just about to start one. We may be in the middle of one. We may be just about to finish one. Main thing is reach out today to secure your spot on the next upcoming TED Accelerator. And there'll also be some pre-work for you to do. So it's best time to start taking action on this is today. and so we'll get you secured when the next group goes through. Also, if you want this to happen now, 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 there's also ways we can accommodate you in more of a one-to-one bespoke manner. All right, speak to you soon.